I'm Alex Green. Welcome to another episode of Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. tribe and the singer of that band liam croker is my guest today on the program but before we get to him let me tell you a little bit about the wenatchee tribe formed in 2015 the wenatchee tribe are one of those bands that were born with momentum as a matter of fact since their inception this uk outfit have been packing their musical cv at a frenetic pace consider this in the short time they've been together, the Wenatchee Tribe have already released a handful of critically acclaimed singles. They filmed videos with acting legends Keith Allen and Tommy Flanagan. They collaborated with producers like John X, Howie B, and Danny Saber. They garnered international airplay, ranging from BBC Six Music to KCRW to us here at Bombshell Radio. They've gotten written up in the LA Times and the NME. They supported the Happy Mondays on a huge tour, and then they headlined their own tour. Impressive, right? Yes. But even more impressive when you consider this. They did all that without even putting out an album. How did they pull all that off? Well, they're just that good. Now, to describe this Warrington band's sound is a fun assignment because their particular sonic stew brings to mind so many bands from so many different genres. I'll let you decide what you think they sound like for yourself, but my own description goes something like this. Filled with horny swagger, libidinous grooves, and soulful fire, the Wenatchee tribe have the sleazy pop chops of Primal Scream, the electro glide of Massive Attack, and the hip-hop precision of De La Soul. Now here's the funny thing about this band. You might listen to them and think, oh, I'm reminded of the Stereo MCs, or the Happy Mondays, or the Tom Tom Club, and sure, those bands do come to mind. But the fact of the matter is, the Wenatchee Tribe are one of the most singularly original bands I've heard in years. They are their own guys, in spite of their influences. Now, I was exchanging emails with Liam for a couple weeks as we were trying to zero in on a time for our interview. And one of the things that struck me about Liam just through email was that this guy has charisma. I thought, he's a great writer because he writes with energy and he writes with enthusiasm. Well, guess what? I met the guy and he's exactly the same. He's exuberant. He loves life. And he's truly 
one of the most upbeat, coolest guys I've ever talked to. It makes sense when you see this band live why they are so appealing. They have energy, they have charisma to burn, and they have enthusiasm for what they do. They are truly one of the most exciting bands out there. And I was really excited to chat with Liam. It was totally fun. And I think I want to bring him back. I want him to be a regular on the show. He is an amusing and wildly entertaining guy, and I think you're going to love him. So here's my chat with Liam from the Wenatchee Tribe. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. So you're hard on yourself that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I get um I have to get myself in a certain in a certain place to be able to perform like that. I mean it's high energy in one way. It's not like say with the prodigy and we're throwing ourselves around the stage. But I think it's a very, very intense show and it's like um it's almost like a controlled aggression that we've managed to pull off on stage. I know there's a lot of comparisons between you and the Happy Mondays. Does that get tiring? Um, a little, maybe. Not so much because not so much because it's the Happy Mondays. It's it's more. I think being compared to them because because of where we're from, we. Happy Mondays were from Salford. We live in what, uh, the, the Manchester end of Warrington, which is a 15-minute drive into Salford. You know, so we're very, we're very close to each other. It doesn't bother me in a musical sense. It's more sort of a geographical, you know, a geography sense that it pisses me off a bit because I don't want to be labelled as an area band. If that makes sense. Like, hey man, these guys sound like they're from Manchester. Right. You know, you know, they these guys sound like they're from Salford. When we actually don't, you know, there's nothing. We don't sound Manchester as such. We we have influences from everywhere. One of them happens to be the Happy Mondays. I think the easiest and the most obvious, maybe, um, thing comparison that the press can do is label us with the Happy Mondays. One, because of where we're from. Two, you know, maybe, I mean, Sean Ryder's accent's a lot broader than mine, but I have got a northern accent. And also, we're technically a rock band mixing dance music together. And I think that's why they think, well, shit, we've got to, we've got to find something to, to, to pigeonhole them with. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, Happy Mondays is the easiest. We'll go with the Mondays. You know? But I suppose, you know, yeah, 
We have a band like the Stone Roses. They had it with the Birds. Oh, uh, Oasis had it with the Beatles. Yeah, you know, it's all, so on, so on. Um, and don't get me wrong, I absolutely adore the, the Happy Mondays. I think they're a fantastic one. So I'd rather I'd rather be compared to them to Elton John, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you you know you've just revealed that music journalists are a little bit lazy. They're always looking at ah they're like the Happy Mondays. Now I'm gonna get out of here and go home. It's uh it's an easy yeah. you know easy thing to do to kind of like just put a point on it and move on. I think so. I, I, I do, but I don't know what mate. If it was me doing it, I'd probably do the same. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's easier. Um, there's a number of, I think the, a number of bands, I mean, Primal Scream would be an obvious one, I think, for us. Also, Parliament, Funkadelic, and George Clinton as a whole, his whole empire. And if you, if you took Parliament, Funkadelic, Primal Scream, The Happy Mondays, getting pretty close to kind of what we are, I suppose. Who is the architect of, of the band's sound? Like, where did the idea come to fuse dance music with rock music? I mean, not that it hasn't been done before, but what made you guys decide to do, go that direction? It was me and um, a guy in the band called Anthony Edgerton. And we co-founded the band together. Not not this band. We we just started making music together quite a long, quite a long time ago. We're from the same town, similar age. Um, we were knocking around the same pubs and bars and things like that. I was already in bands. He wasn't. I've been in a fight in town. About say town. It wasn't our town. It's Blackburn. I'd been this really crazy fight which included a town crier bell and an antique table over somebody's head. And I got beat up pretty bad, I got kicked in the face and stuff. I remember coming to this pub after it, and Ant saw me all beat up and everything. And we just, he was like, hey man, what's happened to you? <laughs> I said, oh, well, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. <laughs> and then we, we got talking, and we had a similar interest in music. So at the time, we met up, he was living at his dad's house. He used to go down to his dad's house. He would sit in his dad's shed with a, a guitar, acoustic guitar, I think it was, an old bass guitar, and a very, very early drum machine. And we would smoke loads of weed <laughs> and and just play. Yeah. And it kind of, it kind of accidentally, it, that kind of happened. I think initially we didn't have a band for a long time, we just had technology, so it was just me and him and technology. So we came from listening to like Guns N' Roses and Faith No More, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and stuff when we were growing up. And then we got into Beastie Boys and Cypress Hill and and then and then we discovered Massive Attack and Tricky. And it was like, wow, okay, how, how do we make this work? We've somehow, we've somehow got to get out of this shed to be able to do anything. And, you know, the, the biggest problem with getting out of the shed was with that stone. I don't think we could find a way out of the shed. But, um, yeah, that, that it, it wasn't a conscious decision. I think it was a technology thing and the lack of having a band that made us become this sort of hybrid rock 
funk dance band that we've become today. And we we never aspired to be. It, we never sat in that shed me and Anthony said, right, man, we want to be the next Stone Roses or we want to be the next Beatles or the next Happy Mondays. We just said, we want to be a band. We just want to make music. And one of the things that we used to say to each other was, you can only be as good as your record collection. And then we both grin and go, ah, but we've got fucking really good record collections. And we thought, oh, no, we're going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really kind of, I'm kind of curious because, you know, in, in America, it's a little bit different where, there is a degree of regionalism, but the idea that you – like, for example, uh, you know, your favorite uh, baseball team in America might be a team that's in a different state, which I've never personally understood. Um, but, you know, so – but for you, you were saying that you don't want to be affiliated with a band that – just because of the, the regional aspect of it, right? So there is yeah. a certain – there's a certain – a whole different kind of pride about where you're from, Um and how does that how does that factor into the music? I mean, I'm very I'm very proud that I'm from the northwest of England. I mean, my heritage is my family, all my family are from Liverpool. Okay, so all my family Scousers, obviously the Scousers. You've got the Beatles, you've got the Lars, you've got Echo and the Bunnymen. You know, um, the rest. But I've grown up in Wellington, which is just outside Liverpool, and we moved when I was really young. I think coming from the northwest of England, Manchester and Liverpool, you uh, it's inbred into you from a very, very small child that this place you, that you, you you're from is pretty special. You know, it's it's a place that the music that's come out of this small part of the world has made. You know, has arguably made the biggest impact on pop culture. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you have the beat. There's the Beatles, and there's no Beatles. There's this before the Beatles and then after the Beatles and that came from four lads who lived 20 minutes from my house you know what I mean my uh, mum and my uncle and stuff went to school with John Lennon uh, my uncle was in the same class as John Lennon so you you have this almost unspoken thing that yeah you're from somewhere special and it does affect you massively I mean mean, we are influenced by the Mondays definitely influenced by the Roses you know we're influenced by Oasis, but not in a musical sense. We're influenced by the Beatles, but not in a musical sense. We're just influenced by their sort of presence and magic and growing up around that. It definitely influenced what, what we are, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. What is your attitude towards Liverpool? You must have a lot of affection for the city. Massive affection. I was in Liverpool today, yeah. I went down. Unfortunately, my uncle, Richie, is in hospital not very well at the moment so yeah shout out to Uncle Richie but um, yeah but when I got off you know if you get the train from Warrington into Liverpool it's you come out you come out of the main station which is called um, Lime Street Station and the minute I walk through those doors I feel like I'm home you know what I mean I might not have been to Liverpool for six months but the minute I walk through Lime Street Station and the big doors opening you go to those steps and you can see Liverpool City Centre it's like wolf yeah home it's, a, it's an amazing feeling 
And I spend a lot of time in Manchester because of, because through music, you know, I have to go into Manchester a lot. I don't get that same feeling as I do in Liverpool. It's interesting, yeah. you know, it's funny because I, I grew up, you know, I came of age in, in like the late 80s. I got really into the Roses and the Mondays and all those Manchester, and also the Smiths um, and the Fall. And there was actually like, there was a real Manchester sound. I mean, you could hear it even through bands like the Happy Mondays and the Fall that were totally different. There was something very yeah. like, uh, there was, it was kind of tough. I can't even really explain it, but it's a sensibility. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, there's a sound. Yeah, there's a sound to the city, and and it's really interesting. Where I get what you're saying. Like, you want to be sort of lumped in with a certain place if you're not really from there. Yeah, but yeah, that, that, that's totally it. It's funny, isn't it? Because if you look at the Manchester sound, you know, Darty um, Mondays, Stone Roses, New Order, Joy Division. I think Geodity Colin as well. And oh, what the hell have lost the name of the other band from Factory Factory Record. Um I can't think. But look, those main bands that I just spoke weren't technically from Manchester and they wouldn't call themselves Manchester. They're from they're from Salford. Which is a town sort of no, Salford City, which is attached to Manchester. So if you said to to Sean Ryder, yeah, mate, you're the Manchester band. You go, no, I'm fucking not. <laughs> From Salford. And those bands, so uh, Mondays, The Fall, New Order, they all had a real, you know, a real tough sound to them. The Stone Roses were from Manchester, which you can hear as like the softer sound from The Fall of the Mondays, can't you? Yeah, it's different. It's interesting because, like, that that sound kind of still looms large over that city. It looms. Oh, it's, it's huge. Yeah, there's no, there's no getting away from it. It's like if you go into Liverpool, the Beatles are just like this huge presence over the city. You know, everywhere you go, all the band, all the young bands in the night in the clubs and the pubs, they all sound like the Beatles. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, but. You know, but Oasis did it. So, you know, I grew up in the nineties, and Oasis had the same effect as the Roses did in the Mondays. You, you know, you go around them in a good way, I suppose. You've got to look at it as a positive thing. But it made so Oasis made so many working class kids in this country pick up a guitar and and try to be, to make it as a musician. They really did. Everyone had the same hair being skilled, everyone had the same haircut. You know, it's like Beatlemania part two. Oasis, I mean, I don't know how big Oasis were in America, but in trust me, in the UK, they were knocking on as big as the Beatles for a short period. They were enormous. Yeah, they were they were definitely big here, but not not what was happening over there. I mean, they were certainly, they were probably one of the biggest British bands of the last 25, 30 years over here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. Now, what has your experience been with the United States? Have you guys played a lot of shows over here? We've. I've been over to the United States on three occasions. I've been over once, the first time, when I was working with Danny Saber, the producer Danny Saber. I was working in Laurel Canyon, and yeah, we were just doing some work, recording and stuff. 
second time round, I was um, video recording. It was for the, it was for our single "A Room with a Zoo," which you guys play very kindly on the Bombshell Radio. Um, yeah, we we did some filming. We were filming with Tommy Flanagan, you know, from Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. The actor. Yeah, we we were uh, filming with him at his ranch in Malibu. We did a really surreal short film on the back of a horse called Zeus. Now, that was a strange day, a few days, I can tell you. And in March this year, we came over, yeah, the whole band came over and we cracked our US live cherry and we did a number of dates in California, which was fucking phenomenal. I loved it. I love America, mate. I don't, you know, I know the world, I know it gets a bad press at times, but my experience has been great. I've, I've always really, really loved I've always loved coming over to work anyway. And how did you, you found American audiences to be very receptive to your sound, I bet. Yeah, especially in uh, Los Angeles and Hollywood, you know, Hollywood, Los Angeles. Absolutely. You know, our manager is based in LA. So the times we've been over previously, we've always been with our manager, we've met the same people. We've built up a really nice fan base. So, put it this way, I can go into a venue to do a show and Hollywood Boulevard, people will come up and introduce themselves to me and sing my songs back to me. Which is, you know, what a great feeling that is to be on the other side of the world and people are, um, yeah, people are singing to you. That's, that's, that's awesome. Explain to me how your vision of California matched up to the reality of what you actually saw. Was it the same? Well, that's a good question. California's a big place, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any, any particular part of California? Well, I mean, like, like, so for example, I'm in San Francisco, and San Francisco and Los Angeles are very different. Okay, we'll start with both. Okay. Um, Los Angeles. I only ever really see Hollywood when I'm in Los Angeles. You know, I, I get driven through Los Angeles, but I tend to work in Hollywood, so I'll, be, I'll, I'll just be at venues and restaurants and places like that. I like the, and I, I know this is probably quite cliched, Hollywood is quite seedy at times, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Now, I kind of embrace the seed. <laughs> if I'm over, if I'm over there for two or three weeks, then man, fucking seed me away. I want to be seeded. You know what I mean? <laughs> Give me as much filth and dirtiness as you possibly can. I want to feel fucking. I want to feel violated when I leave. So in that sense, <laughs> in that sense, I, you know what I mean, don't you? I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. In that sense, I love it. Yeah, I love to go over there and be a rock, you know, be a rock and roll star for a couple of weeks. I think it's great fun. And why not? Do you know what I mean? That's, that, is it, isn't that a perk of the job? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I don't think people yeah. think of it as being a seedy place, but once you get there, you go, oh, it's not all glitz and glamour. Well, it's one of them. It could be, it could be all glitz and glamour if you wanted to, but if you look hard enough, you can find the seed, and we go looking for the seed. <laughs> so <laughs> we have our seed meter so we <laughs> I, we find it. So I really, I, I yeah, I really enjoy Hollywood. I think it's a great, 
I have some great fun down there. Um, now, I, we did play at San Francisco. We played an absolute shithole, if, if I'm honest, called Hotel Utah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a colourful place. It was interesting. Small. Um, yeah. I was happy to get out there alive, if I'm honest. But my my thing about San Francisco was the whole the actual gig was wasn't great. It was pretty shit. But the day after, just hanging around the harbour was amazing. Isn't it beautiful? Beautiful, mate. But my, the best day of the tour was hanging around the harbour in San Francisco. It was um, the weather was nice. Some of the guys had gone over to see the the, um, the prison uh, orchestra. So that left just the other half of us. Yeah, and we just hung around. We had some seafood. We had some beers. And we just soaked up all the characters, you know, it was it was a really, really nice place. Yeah, that's definitely something I'd like to come back and play again. Yeah, totally. But I, I like California, man. I've been to New York and I've been to California and if I had to choose, I'd choose California any time of the any day. Well, you know? as a Californian, I can only say well done with that choice. Um yeah. The, you know, it's funny. You were saying that you're you are not afraid of of the seed. Some people are. Some people get a little terrified of the dark stuff. But you seem like uh, like you're willing to embrace it for the for the moment that you're facing. It. Well, listen, no, listen, mate. We've grown up in the northwest of England. Yeah, I grew up in a place called Warrington. So the seed is the seed's a bit like home from home. <laughs> it's just a bit. It's home from home, but a bit more fun. You know what I mean? On a bigger scale. So the, the seed's not a bad thing, mate. I think the seed's great. Yeah. As long as keep Hollywood seeded. That should be a sort of... <laughs> that, should be a, that should be a slogan, keep Hollywood seeded. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, one, one of my favourite bands growing up, and to know, still to this day, is Guns N' Roses. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The real... The, the real um, original badass CD Guns N' Roses to me were the last great great rock band you know they were they were something special and they to me stink of Hollywood they smell of Hollywood even though I think there's only one or two of them that are actually from Hollywood yeah, I think right? I think one, but they were like they were like believably dirty. I mean, I don't I don't think those guys after a show went golfing. You know, I think they I think they they lived in the seed. Yeah, it's similar with those. We we, we don't go back. We don't go. We don't go for the golfing session and they after to wind down. No, no, we just hit it hard and then we we party for the night and then we get up, we shower and we go and we go to our next destination. I mean. I don't know if you've seen this. There's a live session on YouTube we did with Behringer when we were in California. And when we were over there, um, Behringer was in Chatsworth in LA. So we went down to, to yeah, we went down to Chatsworth. We was, it was a great honor actually. We, we did a, a live session in the in the, the beautiful Music Tribe Studios in Chatsworth. Yeah. Now, I did the session with my sunglasses on, because we'd been, where the hell have we been the night before? We'd been out, I thought we had a night off and we'd been out 
out and um, we had to do the session and I thought, my God, how am I going to get through this? It's formed live, it's it's for Behringer, so it's a big, it's a, you know, it's a big deal. I've got to get through this somehow. So the guy's gone, hey man, make yourself at home, go to the kitchen, we've got drinks and all the rest of it. And I was like, okay. So I've opened the fridge, oh, there's some energy drink, a couple of like cause light beers, oh, that's not really going to do much, so shut that. And then I've opened the cupboards and it was like this beaming light came out and there was a full litre of Jack Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've opened the Jack Daniels and what they've had is they've had a cup, they've had hot water, honey and tea. So I was going out with these hot toddies basically, lemon, you know, lemon tea, hot water, filled up to the net with Jack Daniels. I had three of them and I did an absolutely amazing performance, which is all on video, which you can see. Uh, God bless Jack Daniels. Okay, let's get back to the horse and Tommy Flanagan because that sounded weird. I need you to I need you to tell me that story. Okay. Now, on the <clears throat> have you seen the video for A Room of the Zoo? Yes. Okay, so the deal with that was Tommy Flanagan spoke to our manager, their friends, um, he was asking about how the band was getting on. And Harry was like, hey man, you're doing great, you want to listen to the single? And he had, he had to listen to the single. Fucking loved it. So Harry put it to him, he just said, look, is, is there any way that you would, you know, be in the, be in the video for the guys? It would, be, it would be great for the band, the PR that we get from it would be amazing. And he basically, you know, he just said, yeah, <clears throat> if you can get the lads to Los Angeles from this point to this point, I've got a little a little gap in the schedule. And hey, presto, we got the phone call, we were on the flight, bang, we were in Hollywood. And um, yes, yeah, so we've been there for three days and we were drinking straight. And now, you know, it's like if you've been drinking pretty heavy and then you've all of a sudden got a Stop. Then that's when things get a bit messy because you know your body is all over the place. So we'd be drinking quite hard, and then Harry went, "Right, lads, now tomorrow we're going to go down to Tommy Flanagan's ranch in Malibu." Now you've got to remember this: Tommy doesn't drink and doesn't like drinking, so you can't have a drink whatsoever. Like, oh, okay, this is going to be interesting. And secondly, secondly. He wants one of you to ride this big fat off horse called Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> so we get down to Tommy Flanagan's house, which is up in the it's like up in the hills in Malibu. It's in the middle of nowhere, it looks like the desert. Um and I'm poorly with sweat, I can't have a drink, I I basically got a DT, I can't just have like a whiskey to take the edge off or anything. So get out of this car at this beautiful ranch and sat there in Tommy's front room, shaking like, ugh, please Tommy, give me a drink. And he's like, no, fuck off, you bastard. And um, he went, right, who's the wee bastard who's riding on my thoroughbred horse called Zeus? And I went, well, that'll be me. Tommy said, have you ever had a horse before, laddie? He said, I've never had a horse, mate, but I've been on a, I've been on a donkey in Blackpool. And he went, yeah, that'll be, don't worry about it. So <laughs> we spent the day on this horse, both of me and Tommy, a little worse for wear. Tommy was a little worse for wear. 
And yeah, I just thought it was a Tuesday and I thought to myself, this is going to be one of the more surreal Tuesdays I'm probably ever going to have in my life, to be honest. You know what I mean? It sounds like it was directed by David Lynch. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was directed by a guy called Trevor Miller, who's actually from Manchester, and he is the author of the book The Acid House. And... Um, yeah, Trevor was there in a baseball cap and a leather kilt throughout the whole the whole film. But it came out really well, I think. So. Well, yeah. And yeah, you you know, you know, seem like the kind of guy who's not really afraid of anything, whether it's getting on a horse named Zeus <laughs> for the first time or, uh, you know, checking out the CD section of Hollywood. You seem like a fairly fearless person. Is that true? I'd like to think so. I mean, I've been around the block a bit in my life, you know what I mean? So I've seen things, done a few things myself, so it takes quite a bit to to, um, to get me worried. But I'm always human, you know, stick a gun in my head, I might start worrying a little bit. <laughs> but um, in general, now, I mean, what I do, what I do, Alex, with the entertainment side of things I embrace it that's what I do because I think to myself this is a, you know I am so privileged to be able to be doing this right now none of my friends back home will be doing this so whatever they throw at me I I, I you know I take it on full wholeheartedly you know what I mean when was the last time something worried you oh shit um <clears throat> You know where you went, like, oh, this doesn't seem safe, or maybe I, maybe I shouldn't <laughs> do that. Hmm. I don't. I, <laughs> I don't really know. I've done some pretty weird things lately, as well, and I don't know. Really. I, 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 I honestly, I, I honestly don't know. I can remember that horse. I mean, don't get me wrong, that horse freaked me out pretty much because. You know, I think Tommy had a bit of a smoke as well, and I was really, really hungover on the horse. And it wasn't just the horse; it was full of red. It was fucking huge. And Tommy, it was Tommy that was leading it through this sort of higgledy piggledy um, track. Yeah, that was that was quite scary. You know, I mean, the last thing maybe was we were in a bar in in LA last time we were over me. Our technician, our, our sound engineer's daughter, and the drummer, I mean, were really, really pissed, really drunk. And apparently, three Mexican gangsters had come in and set up the bar. And I decided to grab one of them and made him waltz with me around the nightclub. <laughs> and then the, ba- the, ba- the bouncer pulled over the girl we were with and said, I think your friend needs to stop dancing with the Mexican gangster. And she's like, that's a gangster. I said, yeah, he's, he's packing it. He's got, what? he's got a gun there. And he's like, I don't think he's appreciating the dancing. But as far as I can remember, man, he seemed pretty happy. He, he didn't have a problem with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, if you do it with enough conviction, then, then people will just go with it. Yeah, because I had no idea he was a gangster, man. I just thought he was a dude. We were talking. I was drunk. I can't remember what song came on the jukebox. I said, will you take this dance? And he took the dance. And 
you know. He could have said, took the dance and then shot me at the end of it, but who knows? He didn't. I'm still talking to you now, so <laughs> all good. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this: like, what are are you surprised with where the band is at this point? Like. Are you, in terms of your expectations of how people would receive you and how long it would take to get you where you are, uh, was this all part of the master plan in terms of the clock? Are you are you ahead? Or are you behind? Like for your liking, where are you? I'm nowhere near where we need to be. Yeah, no, we're behind. If I'm honest, it's been a it's a long it's a long drawn out. Um, mission that we're on but yeah we are by far in the best this year we've ever been in you know what I mean that's the reality um I don't I mean I don't look at it that much I don't look at it I try not to analyse it so much like that we just keep going I know we've got a backlog of music which is absolutely outstanding We've got a we've got a certain momentum at the moment that I think everybody can see that's happening. There's a real momentum behind the band, and the two main things for the group at the moment is performing and releasing music. As long as we keep doing that at a at a certain rate, then we're going to be fine. We're absolutely going to be fine. So everything we put out was received with such love. Our shows are received with such love. The shows are getting bigger. I mean, we're, we're having to turn away shows. My plan now is to keep the band on the on the road for three years and just keep on releasing and releasing music. People keep saying, when are you going to put an album out? I don't know when I'm going to put an album out. Maybe we'll never put an album out. We'll just release singles and singles. You know, we'll just release a fucking load of singles and then one day we'll put them all in a box set and release that. Who knows? You know what I mean? But... At the moment, things are going well, and I'm enjoying it. The The band has actually officially been together for how long? The Wenatchee Tribe has officially been together since January 2015, so we're still a relatively young band. Yeah. You know, we've not been around for 10 years as such, yeah. When you say you're behind where you want to be, is that just you kind of being hard on yourself, or is that and because it is a slow business? You're right. You have to sort of establish an identity, and it's not overnight for sure. Um, no. So and unless unless you went on the Voice, which I or which I don't see, yeah. happening, right? But the thing is, is like you know, it is hard work, and it is like those punk rock guys in in America. The theory was just get in the van and just keep driving around America until people know who you are. Um, but uh-huh. it also was a nod to the fact that it's hard work. It's mile by mile. It's floor by floor. Um, it, but but you guys seem more than up to the task. Yeah, yeah, that's all. That's our thing. I mean, at the moment, our sort of uh, theory on playing live is we play the place, then we fucking play the place again, then we play the place again. We just keep playing. You know, I'm intrigued by the idea that you haven't put an album out. And I'm starting to wonder, do you even need to? Um, how important is that to do these days? Where do you stand on, on that whole subject? Mm. I, don't, I know, it's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, you, you've got to keep putting music up. The thing with us, right? <clears throat> we are an indie band. In, in, indie in this, in, this, indie in this sort of way... We're independent, you know what I mean? We don't sound indie, but we're an independent band. And with that, 
become you, you've got you've got to keep releasing music for people to be interested in the band. Say so, we've just put out this new single transition. Transition has now allowed us to tour again. Okay. Um there's another song a song that we did while we were in America actually with a producer called John X. Do you know him? I've heard of the name. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not familiar with the work. Well, we did, we did some work with John X at Venice Beach. And, yeah, so that, that's going to be our next single. So we have to put that track out to keep the momentum going, do you know what I mean? But eventually someone goes, hey, man, you ready? Are you guys ready to put your album out? And you think, shit, I've just put out 10 singles. Where is the album? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting question to even have on the table, you know, to album or not to album. You know, I I always think in terms of albums because I grew up as an albums guy. Well, I'm an album person too. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've got my dreams always to be to have an album. That's what I want an album. Um, to, to me, to put an album out would need the backing to put the album out. I mean, real real budget putting into PR. If somebody came out to me and said, right guys, here's it wouldn't even take cost that much. Here's three grand, finish your album. And then we're gonna put ten grand into PR promoting it, then I go, Yep, there we go, sign with that we'll do it. Until that day I'm not gonna do it because I'm not as I'm not as gonna put an album out. I mean but believe me we've got an album, we've got a number of albums, but I'm not just gonna take an album and put it on iTunes. Go, hey guys, on Facebook and Twitter, we have an album out, and let our life work just sort of, you know, sit there. It, it needs it needs promoting, man. It deserves to be promoted properly. And if you you think you think the stuff that we've pulled off pulled off off our own back, all the tours, all the famous collaborations, back and forth to America, you know that we we've done that without any corporate backing. We've managed to hustle and make that happen. So. Let's see what happens with the album. If, if there's any band that can pull it off, it'll be us. You know, what's funny is that the money you're talking about is not a crazy amount of money, right? Like, it's not like you're asking for no. millions of dollars. No, we're not, no. I, I mean, it helps. We have our own studio, so a lot of the pre-production's already done. Right. Um, so what, for instance, yeah, yeah for instance, transition the song, the song that's out at the moment, we we, we didn't. We, we recorded. I wrote the baseline and lyrics at home. I went into our studio. Then I said to Anthony, "I've got this baseline. Played it in." He then programmed that baseline up on a keyboard on a synthesizer. Put a beat to it. I went to the vocal booth. Put down his vocal. We added like percussion, like guitars, a few synths. We arranged it, and then it was like, right, that sounds pretty much done. So then there's a guy who we know called Jim Spencer who. He uh, mixes bands like Electronic in 808 State and people like that. And we went in to see Jim, which it has his big, posh analog studio. Jim mixed the track. We then said it was to be mastered. Voila, it's done. But all the all the donkey work we did ourselves. We did all the production and recording ourselves. Because we've, not, because we've got the facilities to do it. You know, back in the day, you wouldn't have had the facilities to do that. You wouldn't have had the technology to do it you um you know you, you strike me as a very upbeat guy have you have you always been optimistic and upbeat um 
No, it's not. I suppose I have. I suppose I've learned over time that being anything upbeat and optimistic is a complete waste of my time. Because you know, because it's not beneficial for what I'm trying to do. You know, if I, if I'm feeling down about something or frustrated, I try to look at that. I'll try to look at the cause of that and um, figure it out and work with it. I think, right, well, if that's not working, because I'm always, I'm always working on a number of different things to do with this band. It could be all sorts of things, you know what I mean? So if one particular thing's pissing me off and it's not working quite how I want it to, to do, I'll put that on the back burner and I'll move on to the next one. So I'm going to try and keep it moving. The whole thing's keeping this moving. It's momentum. If you stop, you stop. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's a thing with bands. You know, you have certain groups who say, like, bands that I grew up with, for instance, they'd be like, hey, man, we stuck it at it for so long, and then, you know, and then we stopped, and then nothing happened, and I'm thinking, well, no shit. <laughs> you, you stop, and nothing happens. You carry on. Things happen. The door's open. You know, you you achieve something if you stick at it. You know what I mean? You've got to keep going. I mean, if it's, if it's a bag of shit and you're flogging a dead horse, then it's a different story. But it's not a bag of shit with us. It's the complete opposite. It's um, it's beautiful what we're making. So, and doors are opening every day, hourly almost for us. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'm totally optimistic with with what I'm doing. I'm enjoying life as well, Alex. You know what I mean? I'm enjoying. Being alive and being a human being, I feel quite gifted and honoured to have this opportunity to be doing what I'm doing, and I'm going to push it to the limit, mate, and see where I can take it. You know what I mean? How tight is the band on a personal level? Are you guys all friends? Do you guys all hang out? We don't hang out as such as, you know, yeah, we're tight. Like we're a brotherly type, as opposed to hey man, just go down the pub for a beer type. Because we're all too we're all too busy to be doing that. If that makes sense, do you know what I mean? We've yeah. All got, we've all got a lot. Of, we've got families and we've got other responsibilities. When when the band, the band's a full blow. I mean, as we're talking, my phone's beeping because my manager's ringing me and answering because people are trying to tell me things. So it's like the, the band's an ongoing machine. You know what I mean? Um, we hang out on the road. If that's the truth, you know. When we when we hang out with her on tour, we talk all the time. We talk on a daily basis regarding the band and the price of fish and do aliens exist and bullshit like that. But we don't we don't just hang out as like you know the, the dudes. No no no. It's, it's almost too close for that. If that makes sense. Where did the um the name of the band come from? I was I always wondered that. Well, the band, a, nif- a different incarnation of the band, with a few different members, was called China White. Okay? Now, because, well, for a number of reasons, there's a, there's a, we took the name initially, me and Anthony, because we were huge fans of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. So we took the name White, uh, China White from the, from the song White Lines out of a tribute to Grandmaster Flash. But we didn't know that there was a 70s punk band in 
um, California called China White, and our very first show as China White a long time ago, we were doing a gig in Manchester. I remember looking into the crowd, and there was fucking loads of these loads of big uh, guys with mojitos, man. And they all thought they'd come to watch the punk band China White. <laughs> so we did this gig, and they were all staring at us. But by the end of it, they had them fucking dancing. Do you know what I mean? Um, and the main problem we had was our manager being in America and the street name for heroin in the States is China White, right? Yeah. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So he turned around to me and he was like, oh, Liam, you can't. I said, how the fuck you know? I'm all expecting to get you a record deal when you're named after Smet. <laughs> you're named after heroin. I went, right, he said, change your name and we can work together. So, Dermanachi is an anagram of China White. Oh, yeah, okay, got it, got it. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. That solves that mystery. Well, dude, I got to say, I I love your band. I think you guys have something really special going on, and uh, I think the sky is the limit for you. And also, I knew that I would have a blast talking to you, and it was so so good to have a chat. Oh, I mean, do you know what? It's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, mate. Um, you know, um, we're going to be back in the States this September, so... If you, I can't say too much more about that, but we are going to be back over doing shows in September. It would be an absolute pleasure if you would come down and maybe do an interview for Bombshell Radio. Sure. Before or after one of the gigs, and we can meet up and have a beer. I love it. That'd be really cool. I love it. Yeah. I will. It will be a blast, man. And I, I really appreciate your time, and it's just so cool to connect with you. Yeah, you too, man. You're like a really nice guy. I look forward to uh, meeting up with you face to face and having that beer. have a beer with that guy isn't he cool what a fun fun fella i like uh i like liam and uh i love his band and uh if you get a chance to see them live the wenatchee tribe coming to your town soon i would recommend that you do that that'll be a fun night out you will uh you will leave the club uh a lot sweatier than when you got there that is my promise to you my other promise to you is that Stereo Embers, the podcast, will continue to bring you great guests and great conversations week after week for eternity. Let's just say that and keep it open-ended, shall we? Uh, all right. If you're curious about Bombshell Radio, please go to bombshellradio.com. All of your burning questions about our radio station will be answered there. If you go to alexgreenonline.com, all of your burning questions about me will be answered there. It might even create a couple of new ones. Uh, if you want those questions answered, drop me a line, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com or on Twitter at Embers Editor. Now, if you're feeling a bit subscribey, then go over to iTunes and subscribe to Stereo Embers, the podcast, and Bombshell Radio. Both would make us happy, but who are we kidding? Even one out of two would make us happy. Although, if you subscribe to one and not the other, we might be wondering why. Now, I'm not one to give out homework or tasks, but since in this scenario you're on iTunes, you should also check out the Wenatchee Tribe's new single. It's called Transition, and it's phenomenal. One listen, 
and you'll find that this is a band that just can't be stopped. Go down the Wenatchee tribe rabbit hole, and you will not come back the same person. You'll come back with the groove that you thought that you lost or the groove that you never knew you had. So I'm going to close the show right now with a version of Transition. This is the Daisy Odell remix featuring The Singularity. It's brand new. It's irresistible. And I think you're going to enjoy it. My thanks to Liam Croker for the great chat. My thanks to you for always being here week after week and listening to me talk to people about stuff. I appreciate that. And I will see you next week right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Change don't bring danger. Change for you is good.